going to read chapter 2. It's a good story. Let's listen to it and get the feel of it. Now you know where we're going too. Perhaps you can even begin with God's help to sort of get, get a little bit under the skin of the story. But don't miss the human detail because it's important. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, well, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me and I a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you. And what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother, your homeland, and came to live with the people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime... Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvester, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves, don't reprimand her, even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up, don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she'd left over after she'd eaten and had enough. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, that's the Lord, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, and we even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. It's a great story. Let's just learn a little bit from it. Let's think in very simple terms about Boaz, first of all. Remember, we're going to learn about Jesus from Boaz. 
I think there are two key phrases to notice about Boaz. They'll probably go up, I hope, in a moment. He was a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. And then later in verse 20, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Let's talk about guardian redeemer. Now, actually, I prefer the phrase kinsman redeemer, which many translations, the old NIV and some of the other translations, use the phrase kinsman redeemer. Let's talk about what a kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer was. He was a provision for Israelites who fell on hard times. Now, an Israelite could fall into poverty and slavery a number of ways. They could fall into poverty and slavery through their own fault, through tragic circumstances, or through others' sin against them, obviously robbery or maybe war or something. But the result, didn't matter how they got there, the result was the same. They were pretty well stuck. There was very little they could do to get out of it. How could they buy themselves out of slavery when they never got any money anyway? They were slaves, literally. However, they could be redeemed. They could be bought out of slavery and restored to their former position. How? by a kinsman redeemer. This was a provision of God's law, and it was a powerful and compassionate thing, but it was quite challenging. The kinsman redeemer had to belong to the same family, probably the wider family, what we might call the clan. He had to be able to redeem the person. Obviously, he had to have resources. He had to have fairly significant resources. He's got to buy them out of slavery and he's probably part of the whole thing. He's got to buy back their land and restore it to them. But on top of that, he's got to be willing to do that. It's his choice. He doesn't have compulsion of law. So he's got to have the resources and he's got to be prepared to make a fairly substantial sacrifice to redeem an enslaved Israelite. One commentary puts it like this, the kinsman redeemer, this provision in God's law was to provide redemption to original primal tribal wholeness of that lost either by accident or one's own fault. Let's just look at that. It's a bit wordy, it's a bit like just a commentary, but there's something precious of God's heart in there. Just notice, it was a provision of God to bring redemption back to the original wholeness. That which was lost to be restored. Whether you lost it by accident or by your own stupidity, you or your own sin even, there was a provision for you to have restored your original wholeness. Now, I would argue very strongly that hidden in this biblical principle is a powerful picture of the gospel. A powerful picture of the gospel. This kinsman redeemer thing is but a tiny shadow of Jesus. It's just a shadow picture. It's like an illustration of what was on God's heart on the bigger picture. It shows the heart of God. People lost things they should have had originally. Like Adam and Eve, all the wonderful things. We've lost them individually and as a a race. Things have been, some of it's not our fault, some of it is our fault, sinned or sinned against. And the whole thing is tragic. Slavery and poverty and hopelessness. And God has provided a way to restore primal wholeness. To restore primal wholeness. To bring redemption of everything lost, whether by accident or your own fault. That is the gospel for you. God has provided a means of redemption for everything lost, either by accident or by one's own fault. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And it's so powerful and precious. 
kinsman redeemer. He's got to be of our family. The one who is going to bring us true redemption has got to be our relative. He's got to be of the same clan, the same family. He's got to be a man. He's got to be a human. He's got to be a man of standing. He's got to be a man who can stand proudly and with resources in that society. That was how it was. The kids were He's got to be someone who's got clout, who's got the resources to do something about this redemption. Jesus was the only one good enough. Jesus was God become man. He was of our family. He is a man at the right hand of the Father in heaven. There was no other good enough. Only he could bear the, bre- the, the weight of our sin. He was the sinless son of God. He was under scrutiny from God, from men, from angels, and even demons. The devil tried to trip Jesus up again and again. And God declared, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus uniquely was the man of standing. He is the only man of standing who can be our kinsman redeemer. He has the resources Is he willing? It's going to cost him an awful lot to redeem you and me. It's a costly thing. You can't be the kinsman redeemer just with a nod of your head. This is going to be you taking your resources and giving them out, as it were, for the blessing and release of another one. Will Jesus do that? At the Garden of Gethsemane, we're at the moment. Is he going to do it? Yes, he does. I am willing, not my will, but yours. I mean, it's powerful. Jesus chooses, he chooses, brothers and sisters, he chooses to sacrifice himself. Boaz, the story's not finished in chapter two, we know the story at the end, but Boaz has to choose, he doesn't have to do anything. Ruth knows that, this chapter makes it very clear. She needs his favour, she needs favour from someone. This is not something that you had to do. It was something you potentially could do, be a kinsman redeemer. But as we'll see at the end of the story when Steve speaks next uh, two weeks, three weeks' time, on chapter four, there is a kinsman redeemer who doesn't do it. They could choose to do it. Jesus, hallelujah, chose to do it. Freely he gave himself for you and me. He didn't have to save you. But he was the only one who could, and he did. So what motivated him? Well, I think we will see that Boaz is motivated by love. He's motivated by deep love. He's motivated by a chesed. He's not just romantic love, though he is attracted to Ruth. That will be very, very clear. He does find Ruth attractive, a a woman he wants to marry in the end. But actually there is a chesed love, which is deeper. There's a recognition of the of the faithfulness to the covenant in this. Something that we need to almost use imagination to understand. He, he, loves, he goes, comes to love Ruth. I mustn't trip myself up, going too fast. He comes to love Ruth because she is attractive. But the first thing he's attracted to in Ruth is her chesed for Naomi. That's what you'll see in this chapter. We won't have time to explore it. But he says, ah, you're the woman who's come back with Naomi. He's heard about that. So this is all about Hesed. That's what really attracts him, her character. But, but what we want to see is this is a love-driven act. That's what I want you to get for the moment. This is love-driven. It's not duty. He could have chosen not to do it. And I want to remind you that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
that you might not perish but have everlasting life. I want to remind you of what Paul got when he understood it in Galatians 2.20. He talks about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Do you think, why would he do it? He must just have loved me. Why would he do it? What's he get out of it? There's an element of that about how Ruth responds to Boaz for a lot of the time. Then it gets more intimate by next week's chapter. But, but at the first, it's like, well, why, why, would you sh- why would you do this? And you know, as Christians, we have to start very firmly in that position. We do not deserve anything. It's his love, Jesus' love for us. He is our kinsman redeemer. We are dependent on his grace and favor, completely dependent on that. Amen? Thank God Like Boaz, he's this caliber of kinsman redeemer. Boaz is just a little picture of the wonderful Jesus Christ. Let's move on to talk about Ruth. Just want to look at Boaz, now I want to look at Ruth. Chapter 2, because Ruth is nearer, basically a picture of us. Chapter 2 makes very clear the contrast between the wealth and status of this man of standing Boaz and the poverty and vulnerability of Ruth. Ruth has nothing. She is an impoverished Moabite widow. And she is gleaning. Now, gleaning sounds a nice word, but what it actually means is you are living off what other people don't want. You're living off other people's discarded grain. It's probably only a step different from living off a trash heap in a third world country. You are living off what other people leave behind. That's what gleaners do. You don't get much poorer than that. In order to eat, you have to hope that someone will let you pick up what they don't want. Now, Boaz could have ordered her off his ground, land. Actually, the law said you shouldn't, but most commentators say that many landowners would have made it very difficult for gleaners if they were mean and nasty. And certainly her being a Moabite would have given him an extra reason to say, what do you think you're doing on my land? And, and nobody would have defended her. Nobody would have defended her. So we start at that point. Boaz could easily have said, we don't want a Moabite crawling around our fields picking up. We'll let a few poor Israelites have the food. But of course he doesn't. Although his foreman, in verse 6, may hint at a bit of contempt. Don't want to read too much into it. Because when he asks who she is, the foreman says, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab. Now, he doesn't, he's not particularly nasty. He may also have heard, heard that she was a good woman. But there is that sense of emphasizing the fact of who she is. She's the Moabite. I can assure you that was quite a difficult thing to carry for Ruth that they highlighted the fact, well, she's the Moabite. And you can draw your own conclusions and modern equivalents. It was basically a sort of racist and a little bit of a contemptuous thing to be called that. And so there is no doubt that a person like Ruth would be despised, and listen to this, quite possibly abused or even raped in this context. And if you think I'm exaggerating, just think of the little warnings that are given in verse 9 and 22. In verse 9, Boaz says, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And in verse 22, Naomi says, it'll be good for you to go work with the women in that field because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So actually Ruth is at the bottom of the pecking order, a vulnerable young woman who's a Moabite 
easy to be bullied and abused and perhaps even worse. She has no hope. And she is about to meet the bringer of hope, Boaz. The bringer of hope. Now Ruth is a picture of us. The New Testament, the Bible spells it out in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. By nature we deserve God's wrath. Uh, We were uh, in the futility of our thinking. We were lost in the futility of our thinking. We were excluded from the covenants of promise. We were without hope and without God in the world. We were a long way from God. You were in a hopeless position but for Jesus. You had nothing. I don't care who you are or what you do in secular work in modern Britain. Without Jesus, before the living God, you are equivalent to Ruth, an impoverished, begging widow who could easily be thrown out and maybe abused without anybody particularly defending you. That is your spiritual state. That truly is, whoever you are, And we do need to remember that. Without being rude about anybody, that applies from the queen downwards, if I can say. We're talking about human beings. I think the queen may understand that. Bless her. But actually, what I'm trying to say is, nobody before the living God is in a position more elevated than Ruth's position. This is a vivid, vivid picture of where we all start. And I want you to know that Ruth's example is superb. Let's learn from this dear woman. Because... What she does in this story is she gets up and she is determined to find favour. That's basically what she does. She's looking for grace. She says, I'm going to go out in the fields, pick up leftover grain if I, behind the, in, the, in any field where I can find favour for I find grace. Now here's a good lesson. For all her bad life, and she's, uh, she's not been bad herself, but she's, she's been widowed, she's now taken Take, she's impoverished, she's a begging virtually in Israel. She, she's left her home, she's left her past, she doesn't quite belong here and everybody makes that very clear to her. But for all that, Ruth is not passive, bitter and sulky. She's not sitting at home complaining. She's saying, I'm getting a fine favour. I'm going to see if I can't find somewhere where there's enough favour to bless me and cause you and me, Naomi, to live a reasonable life, at least eat. Now, I want you to know that if you want to meet with God, you have to have something of that attitude. Sometimes people of all sorts are very passive. Well, if God wants me, he can come and get me and all the rest of it. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. And I'm speaking to believers as well as those who are not yet Christians. Don't be passive. Ruth is not passive. She's not saying, I deserve blessing. I deserve better. She knows she will get nothing unless someone is gracious to her. But she is out there to seek grace. God loves it. God loves it. That's what God looks for in people. He loves it. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 6. I think it will go up on the screen. Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Christian as well as non-Christian. You need to know God loves to reward those who earnestly seek him. There is a sense in this story that Ruth helps us to see there is human responsibility as well as divine sovereignty. And there is. That's how it lived. That's how it works. And only God knows how it really balances. But we are down here in the Ruth position. And for us, we need to seek God earnestly. 
If you feel dry or impoverished or hopeless for whatever reason, you need to get up, get out, and say, I'm going to find a handful of grain somewhere. That's what Ruth's doing. She said, I'm going out to find enough food for us to exist, Naomi. Uh, Who knows, I may find favor somewhere and be given enough. Now, what happens is she ends up, even on this first day, with more than enough. More than enough. In verses 17, uh, uh, whatever, it says she took an ephah, I can't say these words, ephah home. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you and me. You read a commentary, it tells you that would be the equivalent to two weeks' food. It was probably what would have been paid as wages for two weeks' work to a menial servant in the harvest field. Now, that's a big change. That's a big change from Ruth going out to look for whatever nobody else wants, just enough for us to have a meal today, which is the gleaning position. And by the end of the day, she's been given this massive amount, like two weeks' worth of food, which normally a a working, a worker, not a gleaner, a worker, would get as two weeks' wages. So already, she goes looking for that, and she gets this. And it's going to get a lot better before the story finishes. And you know, that's for you and me. And you've always got to see you start. I don't even expect to have my sin. My sins are forgiven. I'm made a child of God. I'm, I'm, I'm restored. I'm healed, forgiven. That's the real heart of real Christianity. Real Christians should always be amazed. I thought I'd just were asking to survive. And, and look at what I've got. And then it's going to get better and better. But we won't run ahead to next week. She ends up with more than enough. When Ruth goes seeking grace, look at the words she finds from Boaz. They are beautiful, beautiful words. In verse 8, Boaz speaks to her gently and kindly. He says, listen to me. Stay here. Work for me. I will protect you, is in effect what he's saying. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. I will protect you. Whenever you're thirsty, get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now, that to us, that's a throwaway phrase. In the culture, that's not. This is extraordinary. This is a Moabites gleaner, and he's saying, I've told them to look after you, not to hurt you, and actually, not to lay a hand on you, and actually, if you're thirsty, where the workers drink, you come and drink. I mean, there's something of, oh, I could go on all day. Be careful, John, you shouldn't. There's something of Jesus in this. He's your protector. You know, some of us get, oh, Jesus didn't do this, you know, and it didn't work out well for me on Tuesday, so I don't know. But hang on a minute. You didn't deserve anything anyway. I mean, don't you understand the grace of God? And actually, he said, I'm going to look after you. Nobody will hurt you. I'm going to tell the men, keep their hands off you. And actually, if you want to drink, just drink. It's again like John 4, isn't it? Woman at the well. I've got, I've got drink for you. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, I've got drink. Just come and drink. Drink your fill. And then it gets even better. I hope these are going up on the screen. But it's about verse, um, verse 14 now. I may have caught you out. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, I love this, and have bread and wine. You think, come on, God doesn't put that in by accident. You don't believe in the Bible? You don't believe in God? Well, you must be nuts. Uh, You're an idiot. I mean, to be honest, it's bread and wine. It's bread and wine. It's a picture of Jesus. You say, wine, vinegar? Hang on, hang on. You need a little help from my commentator. This is not a spoonful of vinegar. 
It's hard to explain it. It's probably a mildly alcoholic drink made from sour wine diluted with water, very refreshing in hot countries, like a very dry, just tang sort of sharp drink, which, which was quite nice to have. And he's basically saying, come and eat my food. This is what he'd have in the middle of a hot working day. He and his workers, not the gleaners at all, would be having bread and this sour, refreshing, sort of mildly alcoholic drink. And, and that's probably what it is. It's certainly not like, oh, have a bit of vinegar, oh, big deal. You know, it's just we don't quite get it because of the translation things. But, but what I'm saying is come and feast at my table. That's what, that's what Boaz is saying. Is that come and eat my food. Jesus says, come into my banqueting hall. The banner over you is love. Eat my bread. Drink my wine. You know, we did it last week, bread and wine. Jesus says, feast on me. Drink. Be cleansed. Understand what I've done for you. Come and sit with me and take bread and wine. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of acceptance. He's protecting her. He's accepting her. She is accepted. She is brought right into the circle. In these days, the master would often, he would all be respected by everybody, but he, it was a little more level. And he would sit, when they were all with busy, he's a farmer like they are, they're all wanting to get the harvest in while the weather is good and all the rest of it. And they're all together. And he's sitting there and he brings out the food. He's paying for it, of course. And, and she's coming and sitting and eating with him. It's incredible. She knows it's incredible. We know it's incredible. And you know, in verse 12, there is a very clear biblical link to God. Because um, uh, Boaz says, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, that is a deli- that's deliberate. He's referring to that, but the, the writer is wanting us to notice that but, but he's like God. Boaz is behaving like God behaves. And God behaves like Boaz behaves. That's the bit we need to get because we often don't believe it. God behaves like Boaz behaves. There are many places in the Bible where God uses this picture of himself like a mother bird protecting her young under her wings. That's what this picture is. Sometimes we have a very uh, warrior view of God. That's okay. It happens sometimes. But this is a different view. This is quite a female image, and it's an image of a mother bird. And he says, come and be protected by God. Come and be accepted under his wings, as his, as his little brood, as his little chick. And you know, that's where we are. Sometimes you just need to be like a little vulnerable chick under the wings of God. And that is a, an appropriate picture that God gives us. And that's what, in a sense, Boaz is reflecting himself. Now, Ruth is experiencing amazing grace, and she knows it. And this is where it ties in to us. We're coming towards the last few minutes. We need to understand where we are and the grace we've received. Let's look at verses 10 and 13. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, asked, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And she continues, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of even one of your servants. Now, that is a superb, correct response by any one of us to God and Jesus. She isn't worshiping Boaz, but this is the nearest you can get legitimately. She's totally bowing down and saying, I am nobody. You are this mighty man. What are you doing looking after me like this? 
And do you know that is so appropriate for you and me? Men and women, clever people and not so clever, wealthy people and not so wealthy. Anybody in this room, you need to take the Ruth position. We all do. I do. I may have been leading a church for 30, 40 years or preaching the word. But as I prepared, I thought, God, I just want to get on my knees and say, who am I that you should ever love me and care for me? Who am I? I can tell you all my mistakes. I keep thinking of them too much sometimes. And she, 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 said, she said, you've spoken kindly. It's beautiful. Look at that phrase. You've put me at ease and spoken kindly. That's how Jesus is with you. Puts you at ease. You know, come on, you're not like crawling in through the door. You're just like, oh, you might zap me with a lightning bolt. No, you are accepted in the beloved. Put me at ease and spoke kindly to me. It's precious stuff. That's what Jesus does for you. That's what God is for you. Your loving heavenly father. He's put you at ease and speaks kindly to you. And she says, this is amazing. You're making me like one of your servants. Yep. You have the standing. You've given me the standing of one of your servants. He's given you the standing of one of his sons, actually. It's incredible, incredible grace. And we need to just worship, which we're going to do in a couple of minutes, and thank him again and again. It's vital for us to understand it. We've got one more lesson from Ruth to quickly notice before we finish in worship again. Do you know this is a lesson on evangelism? That'll switch half you off. Don't let it do it. Don't do it. Keep awake. It's a wonderful lesson. It's a wonderful lesson. Look at verses 18 and 19. Look what she does. She got all this grain and this food. She couldn't eat enough. She carried it back to a town. Her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she'd left over and not eaten, been able to eat. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you get it? Where did you work? This blessed man has blessed you. Bless him. And then Ruth told her who he was and his name. What happened to her? Well, she actually told her, it says, whose place she'd been working and the man who'd blessed her. Now that is a lesson in evangelism. Evangelism is nothing more than that at one level and I think at a main level. What happens? Let's just briefly analyse it. She goes back blessed. She doesn't think about it. She's not trying to be the right thing. She just goes back like, oh, I've got two weeks' food. I mean, she's going to come back with a little bag and she's got this like, oh, I've got two weeks' lot. I mean, it's, the commentators say it's like 15 kilograms or something. I don't know what a kilogram is because I'm old-fashioned. I understand pounds. But is that a lot, 15 kilograms, 16 kilograms? I don't know. Don't, don't, eh? 33 pounds, there you go. You probably carry it on your back all the day long. But, but basically, she's coming back like this. Like, I mean, this is what, honestly what she does. And then, and then she says, oh, and I've got this meal, this bit of this vinegar, bit of this bread, bit of this, you know, oat cakes. I, I mean, loads, I couldn't eat it all. And, so, and, and what she's doing is she just says what's happened to her. That's all you do. If you get it, if you get it like Ruth gets it, you don't even have to think about it. It's obvious. It's obvious on your face. It's obvious that you're carrying something. You just say, well, you know, that's what, I, what I do is I pray and I find God helps me. Or, yeah, can I pray for your sickness? Or, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do about my job and just got open. Th- you just tell him what he's done. Tell people, I beg your pardon, what he's done. You just talk about it. You don't even think about it. You talk about it. Ruth could, she got it. She was blessed and she just 
talked about it. And she shared her blessing. And then Ruth, sorry, Naomi asked questions. Of course she did. Where on earth have you been? Who gave you that then? How did that happen? <laughs> and then she answers that question. Well, I was in this field and the bloke's name's Boaz. Now that is evangelism. Well, I was like you, and I'm, but I mean, I've met Jesus. I mean, basically, I go to ask Jesus, you know, whatever you tell him. Honestly, it's no more profound than that, and yet that is what we all need to be doing all the time. Not as, oh, John's telling us we've got to do it. I, I mean, if you don't do it, I'm not even, I mean, I don't do it all the time. You know what I'm saying. I'm saying it's life. You have a relationship with Jesus. You realize what he's done for you. It sort of affects how you are and you share a bit of it with other people and then they may ask questions which you then answer. You don't go straight in and say, Boaz, you just talk about the blow it, blessing and then you say, well, where'd you get that from? Boaz. This is a very different way of coming round to Jesus, isn't it? So that's all it is, as far as I understand it. But it means that you need to be fully understanding what he's done for you.